Just don't let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do. And always build those friends that are going to be honest with you, that aren't going to say something just to hurt you because you're succeeding and they're not. Because what happens when you succeed? You bring somebody with you, always. I've never known anyone with a dragon. What does he look like? Just a plain, ordinary dragon. Welcome to the Plain Ordinary Dragon podcast. Today we've got Tim Jackson uh, with us. He's uh, been a friend of mine for a long time. Uh, he's an outstanding paramedic, and we're going to learn a lot of interesting things uh, listening to him today. Uh, I'm really excited to share with you. One of the things that I, I wanted to do before we got into this is I just wanted to say that you're going to hear uh, some discussion about uh, Christianity and you're going to hear some discussion about religion. And that is important because when we interview people, we need to understand their perspective and we need to understand some of their beliefs as well because those are the things that guide us through our journey in life now i have uh, viewers and i have people who follow a plain ordinary dragon and it's a diverse crowd uh, some of them are agnostic some of them are atheists some are christian some are buddhist whatever your persuasion may be uh, please don't let the conversation in regards to uh, religion and belief and so forth sour you on listening to all the good stuff in here if you don't believe that way if you do believe that way well here you have a brother in arms so there are some things here that are interesting but one of the things that i love most about my relationship with tim is that even though some of our philosophies and belief structures are diametrically opposed one of the nice things is is that we always find a way to have a common ground if nothing else that is an important piece for us all as humans to be able to do to find common ground and try to focus on that uh, and then maybe we can understand each other's differences and possibly change minds, possibly uh, enrich others. And so that's really important. So I just wanted to take a minute and say, please don't be turned off by anything initially, because I know it's something that, that I struggle with in my life. Uh, you know, I'll see something from uh, this person or that person that has, you know, that starts out you know, in a way that I'm just like, I don't even want to waste my time, but I promise you this is not a waste of time. So please sit back, enjoy, and listen to the Plain Ordinary Dragon podcast with Tim Jackson. It's going to be a great one. All right. So today I have Tim Jackson with me. We've been friends for a long time. 19... 88, 90, <laughs> somewhere in there. I, I, I thought it was somewhere in the 90s, but uh, but you're probably right. It's probably closer to uh, it's probably closer to the late 80s. Um, you know, we went, uh, we met at, at church, didn't we? Yeah, because yeah. we went to the same church. And then we bumped into each other uh, in different ways throughout life. You, when you were in paramedic school, I was in EMT school. Right. You're probably one of my oldest friends in years known. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do have some friends that are actually older than you. I, I what I wanted to do was kind of go through and um, kind of, I guess, introduce you to everybody else, too. So, okay. you know, originally, you're from Harrison, Arkansas, is that right? Harrison, Arkansas. Grew up in Harrison. Uh, graduated high school, went to Arkansas Tech, moved back to Harrison, moved to Little Rock. Uh, 
just to get out, you know. <laughs> uh, and uh, then went to Waco, Texas for a little bit. Oh, I remember that. That's right. You were doing some yeah. some work with music labels at the time. Is that right? Yeah, I had a friend that I ran into down there, but I went to play with a, a band down there, a Christian rock band oh, down there. Oh, I got there. you. I got you. And so. As I remember that because you sent me a demo. Um, you sent me a couple demos, actually, that – uh, from bands that actually turned into some of my favorite, uh, Nuevo, uh, uh <laughs> Gar- guardian was the one actually. Oh, was it? Guardian, okay. Um, uh, you sent me a demo with, uh, what was it? Oh, take up your cross. I think was the name of the team. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. I forgot I, all about sending you demos. Yeah. And you, like you sent me the demo of, um, Kenny Marks fire of forgiveness on the flip side of one of them. And I can't remember which one it was there was a single cut by Dion Diamucci who, Oh, I forgot all about that. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, of course, you know, he has, he's iconic in, in rock history. Right. But then he had that period where he did Christian music too. Uh-huh. And uh, one of the tunes from that was called simple ironies. And it was on the flip side of one of the demos you sent me. And I loved that song. And then I became a huge Dion fan. Like, um, I think he's one of the most underrated Christian artists of all time. Yeah. And, um, I think Al Denson is also, I met out, you know, remember oh, yeah. we went to Springfield and mm-hmm. introduced you to Al Denson and all that. That I remember that, that was, very uh, ministry wise has such a good ministry for youth, mm-hmm. but, he he doesn't charge hardly anything and uh remember the one time he came to harrison mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> it was like ten thousand dollars that's it and you know right. local businesses paid it and he wasn't worried about having all this lights and different oh, yeah. things so yeah no i uh I, I remember you being a big al denson fan uh for sure and I think the biggest thing is I got to meet him, go to his house, and got to see him and his family as they are. And I think that's, you know, when you get to see somebody that's a big Christian artist, quote unquote, um, but you get to see how they really live it, I think that makes a difference. Oh, sure. I completely, so, I completely agree. I got to run around with Billy Sprague. Um, at one of the Canacuck camps, uh, oh yeah, three years ago, a lot of years ago, we went and saw him at um, Silver Dollar City at Young Christian Weekend mm-hmm. one time. Yeah, those were great concerts. Um, Rick Kua, Rick Kua, I met Rick there. Leon Patillo, yeah, uh, um, Kenny Marks, uh, Michael W. Smith. Uh, there was a lot of them. You didn't have a lot of uh, interaction with the artists on the big stage. But, you know, like when Rick did his thing off on, you know, because they would do them throughout the park or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, get to, to meet people and, and whatnot. So, yeah, I had forgotten about Young Christians Weekend stuff. At Silver Dollar. I don't think they do that anymore. I think yeah, they, they still do. Do they? Yeah. I read an article that they were discontinuing it or something. Yeah, they so. still got it because do um, you remember Chris Myers when originally we're starting the band Good Ground? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was one of the founding members with me and uh, he posts stuff all the time because... They own like nine motels in Branson, and he goes to all that stuff. So interesting, huh. yeah. Well, that's think, cool. I think Building Four Twenty Nine was just there or something like that. So, but uh, yeah, they still knocking it out. Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, I, and I haven't been to Silver Dollar City in a long time. Uh, it's 
on the bucket list. Steal your dollar city. Yeah. Steal your dollar silly. Yeah. In fact, I may still have a friend that works there doing cave tours um, at Marvel, you know, because they have the cave attached oh, yeah. to, the, uh, yeah. to the city and whatnot. So, uh, okay. Well, and so you, you were born in Harrison um, and, mm-hmm. and you, uh, that's, did you do your high school in, in, or you were, you were in Bergman? I can't remember. You're in no, Harrison. no, no. You're in Harrison. I, yeah. I'm, yeah. My parents just live in Bergman now. So, so the, uh, how was high school for you? Um, overall it wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't really have a lot of issues except learning wise, you know, the thing you go to high school for, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I stayed very busy mm-hmm. You know, I was in band and church, and I worked Boy Scouts on top of it. Education was tough, and so that affected my self-esteem. But uh, I had some good, solid friends from church, mm-hmm. and some that I'm still very good friends with today. And I think that was a huge lifesaver. But, I, you know, I had issues at home. My dad was an alcoholic, mm-hmm. and so there wasn't really any physical abuse it was more um verbal abuse you know Emotional. you're gonna be a failure yeah and um then just seeing the way he treated mom and and um so i went to college to arkansas tech for a little bit and mm-hmm. of course since the way the school system was working then um you know, your senior year, you take your SRT test, your science reading and whatever, mm-hmm. and uh, SRA, science reading and arithmetic. Okay. And uh, and they do that every two years. Well, mine was showing dude can't read, and the counselors just take those files, put them over here, and the people that excel – they would focus on the ones that were learning and didn't worry about the ones over here. So at the end of the year, my senior year, you went and did a career advancement placement test. And he said, all you could do is be a trash man, a bricklayer, whatever. And I was like, I want more than that, you know? So I went to tech to... Like they just basically gave you menial choices saying, okay, so here's... so." Let me make sure I understand the situation. So you're in high school, and you're you've got the counselors that are supposed to try to help guide you in one direction or another based on the um, on on the testing. Um, and so they said basically that you you could be uh, a manual labor bricklayer, uh, a trash guy, or something along those lines. But that was probably as far as you were going to get to reach. Right. And in 1985, those were menial labor jobs. And um, and he's telling me this, and I had just gotten a scholarship for music to Arkansas Tech. <laughs> and so he told me, you need to give that scholarship up. Well. Really? Yeah. And so he knew – they weren't interpreting our test scores. You didn't get them in the mail like you do now and, you know, explaining and everything. So he had the results. I never really saw the results. And um, so when I go to Arkansas Tech, I'm failing out of everything. I failed out of music theory because 
I took a music theory class my senior year, but it was still, if I looked at a note, I had to go, every good boy does, that's an F, you know. So sure. it wasn't a full in-depth music theory and reading class. The drummers, we didn't really learn regular music. Yeah. We just learned drum music, sheet music. So I was behind, so I went into music theory and um, he started talking alive. about neighboring tones and different things like this, and sure. I was lost. So basically, my first semester, I fell out of everything. And um, so I went back second semester, and I, I changed my major. I didn't want to be a music education major. I wanted to major in percussion. Mm-hmm. And they wouldn't let me. And... And I'm like, I'm paying for this. You know, this ain't right. I don't want to teach music. I want to be a studio musician. That's what I wanted to do. And so I just left and pretty much I stayed because um, my parents wanted me to go to college. Well, I go just start taking some sociology and different stuff like that. And my professor goes, you're not comprehending anything. So I went and took a reading placement test. I went to college with a seventh grade reading and comprehension level. Really? And the whole time I was in high school, my counselor knew this. He knew this my senior year, and they could have had me in classes. But they never told you. They never told me. And Did you ever find out what, what the, the issue was, why you were having such a struggle with it? I hated reading. I mean... I don't have dyslexia or anything like that, but when I, you don't comprehend and you have to keep going back and reading over and over again. That's the, I mean, that's the exact same experience that I had in high school. Um, and I've never been diagnosed with dys- dyslexia, but I know I have it based on my friends who have been diagnosed. Uh-huh. And, you know, like I was 30 something years old before I had any clue. I just, I just didn't understand why all of my peers in high school, um, had you know could read stuff and they were interested in reading and for me it was such a slog just to try to attempt to gain some information now i I was a good auditory learner i could you know hear things and remember it but reading was too yeah see i'm more of a tactile learner and um um I think a lot of people are. Yeah. Well, if you'll look, a majority of your EMTs and paramedics are very tactile learning. Are they? And visual. So um, that's why when I was teaching with paramedics, we try to do as much visual stuff as well. And um, that really helps them. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we're doing adult learners mostly, you know, when I was teaching college and so you've got to try to hit all aspects of learning visual and everything so but i've learned a lot through the years and um so they they knew that you had a a reading challenge and and, um swept it under the rug yeah they just didn't really do anything yeah so then you got to you got to college seventh grade reading level um so how, how how did you attack that i mean um, I ended up leaving college cause it mm-hmm. just got to be too much and gotcha. moved back to Harrison. And, um, and plus I was playing in a, I was very active in the Baptist student union and playing in a great majesty down there and, uh, just, uh, didn't care about school. Yeah. You decided that you wanted to follow a different course yeah, at that point. Yeah. In your life. 
I'm not a phenomenal drummer. I'm just a good, solid, in-the-pocket drummer. Right. And there's nothing wrong with admitting no. that you're just a good, solid, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm, I'm with you, man. I, I don't consider myself a guitar player. <laughs> you know, and I've been playing for 20 years, but I still don't, uh, I yeah. still don't consider myself one. Yeah. But uh, so anyway, I just moved back to Harrison, just did whatever I could for a living, Ken's Pizza. So that's about the time that I met you. No. No? That would have been 86. Okay. I think you're right. I think it was more in the 90s because I went to Little Rock around 1988. And then from there, I went to Waco, Texas. And I think I moved back in the 90s because that's when we started Good Ground. A little bit about the time I started visiting Grace and everything. Yeah, and Grace was the church that um, that we went to at the time, um, where we met each other and and, and so forth. Uh, and uh, in fact, Dad and I helped build the that church. Oh yeah, <laughs> I mean physically. Yeah. <laughs> um, they can take the Clifton's out of the church, but the church will always be the Clifton's. <laughs> there, there is some truth to that. There is, there is some truth to that. Oh man. So then, you, so you came back and, and you started doing odd, odd and end sort of stuff and just kind, yeah. of, kind of following. Just so I could just play music. You were a youth pastor for a little while, right? At Grace. Yeah. And that, that ended badly, right? Yeah, yeah. that did. Um, and we, I mean, we don't have to rehash any of that necessarily, but. Um, that was a learning experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that is a politically correct way to say that. You're right. Yeah. We had, we had a number of those as well. <laughs> yeah. That was a learning experience church. Yeah. No. And, and that's tough too, because especially when you get into, um, churches, uh, there's a lot of emotions involved, right? You yeah. Know, there's, there's a lot of, you know, these are kind of our people and so forth. And so the atmosphere, um, is one where you want to be able to feel safe. Right. But in reality, a lot of the time, that's not the way it works. Well, I think being a single youth pastor, <clears throat> not single as an individual, but single as in not married, mm-hmm. added to that because <clears throat> I had no idea a couple of the girls in the youth group had crushes on me. Mm-hmm. And that caused problems. And, well, and that's and, a totally normal thing for, you know, for kids to have crushes on, on older people, you know, and on, on people that are, I mean, that's, that's a normal growing process. Yeah. I mean, them. I was like, how many ministers right now? Carmen was single. You know how many women were, mm-hmm. were crazy about Carmen and, sure. you know, other ministers. I can't remember that pastor. He used to go to their church in Tulsa or something, and that minister was single. And um, but I think it made me feel like they actually thought I was gonna try to date a tenth grader, you know. <laughs> and um, then it was like parents had to sit in my class. And the thing is, is they never really told me what why these parents were in here. They were just saying we feel like this is appropriate, and I'm like, okay. Right. And um, instead of just saying, hey, some of the girls in the youth group, and then uh, three of them showed up at my apartment one day and uh, didn't know they knew where I lived or anything like that or how they found it. And did I invite them in? No, we went outside. It was when I lived in the old elementary school. In yeah, the I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And we went out. There was a picnic table there. So we went out there. Somebody from church drove by some. 
and that was it and i was like we were outside you know <laughs> yeah and uh and so yeah it's just uh and i don't have a problem with the accountability thing sure if they would have been up front and said this is the issue it would have made me feel more safe sure sure and they didn't create that environment mm-hmm. and um so. yeah well in in the kind of the reason that um that i wanted us to talk about this a little bit is because you know it is such it's such a rejection of people when you know when you're trying really hard to do all the right things and and try to um live your life the right way and so forth um you know to have people tell you that you know you're you're doing things you shouldn't be doing is really rough um and especially when you have a a passion for um any particular group you know, the same types of things happen not only in churches right they also happen in mm-hmm. other organizations too um you know the, the uh, i'm neither going to defend nor nor tear apart the church in any of this uh, but the reality exists that we see these types of things happen and it's devastating to I, I think it's devastating to the souls of people when they don't get treated well um, and so that was and it always seems to be the ones who work the hardest and the most free for the church that sacrifice the most for the church are the ones that get truly beheaded and i and, think yeah that's true in a lot of areas because you've got a certain group that runs the church and are not active in the church except when there's board meetings or time to go pass the bucket around and the ones who are there till midnight two o'clock in the morning putting a roof on the church putting in plumbing or getting stuff set up for vacation Bible school, or there's a youth rally that, you know, people are, we're those ones that are always on the board and all that. Well, they're the ones who are taking the glory for this. Well, I'm on the board at this church and, and all that. And, and the ones who are doing this are not the ones out there standing on the street corner saying, look at me, look at me. And yeah, yeah, you're right. They're the, the the silent people behind the scenes, or the you know, or the uh, the pillars that people right. come to, and, and so forth. It, it it's just like a rock concert. You've got the band, the ones who are in the fame, making all the money. Then you've got the stage hands. You've got the sound people. You've got the people doing the t-shirts. It's all one big thing, and it all it's it's no different. And it's like the band members are talking bad about the sound people or anything like that. It's going to get around and it just ruins the whole thing. Yeah, and you should never talk badly about your sound people. <laughs> never. I don't care what jerks they are. Yeah, I heard a story about um, there was a concert. I don't remember what band it was. They were trying to get it big. Anyway, they were griping about the T-shirt salespeople and... Their merch people mm-hmm. bad mouth them, talking bad about them. So they sold everything at fifty percent off that night. <laughs> <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Who 
Yeah, so the moral of the story is don't treat anyone bad. That, that's really the moral of the story. Uh, I, I have a soft place for, for sound guys because I ran sound in church uh, growing up. Oh, yeah. And I also realized that without your sound guy doing a great job, you don't sound good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so... Just ask the new kids on the block and <laughs> Britney Spears and... <laughs> Nilly Vanilli. <laughs> Had their sound guy been better, we wouldn't know anything about what, what happened yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and in fact, I have a friend who's, uh, who does front of house sound uh, for Steve Earle, and he's a great guy, and he is one of the hardest working guys I've ever met. I just have such respect for them. Because yeah. Well, the sound guy for Millie Vanilli, all he had to do is push play and pause. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine when they fired him? I, I can only imagine, you know, because... Uh, do, do you know the story about how that all happened? So uh, Millie Vanilli was actually in concert at a concert doing their thing. Of course they lip synced everything. Yeah. There was a glitch in the tape and it just kept doing the same girl, you know, it's girl, you know, it, girl, you know, girl. And eventually they just were like, what's going on? And so people were like, wait a minute, if you guys don't know what's going on, this isn't some kind of remix. And then that's how that's how they lost everything. Well, you remember Ashley Simpson was on Arsenio Hall or something like that. Yes, yes, yes. Was it Ashley Simpson? I don't I, I, I it was, remember the moment you're talking yeah, about. But I can't remember the artist. It could have been. Yeah. Yeah, she lip synced or whatever, and it was all Everything. Off. And, yeah, she got off and ran off stage, and that's when all the lip syncing started being more known what what was going on and stuff like that well, and there are, are times that you should absolutely absolutely be able to lip sync uh um a uh a performance i think uh especially if the venue is going to be one where sound can't be controlled i think um i i think even the super bowl halftime show well not necessarily the halftime show but the uh singing of the national anthem oh that's yeah. such an important piece of of that moment that, uh, you know, if there's an artist that doesn't think, you know, doesn't trust the sound in there or whatever, or doesn't trust, I, I have no problems with them pre-recording. That's gotta that. be one of the hardest performances to do to sing solo mm -hmm. in an arena that huge and trying to get the mix in your ear and then the monitors and right? all that. Yeah. Um, so I don't think those people get enough credit singing <laughs> the national anthem, but you know, yeah, well, yeah, I, I don't know at those it's, arenas. And it's funny the things you can get away with in a group dynamic like that. I remember when I was in grade school, we were all forced to play recorders. I don't know if you guys <laughs> had to do. I don't think they do it to kids anymore. But no, that there's no more torment. I yeah. think <laughs> I was terrible at. That's the why we have PTSD. Yeah. And <laughs> Oh man, I remember my class was doing a recorder version of um, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. <laughs> I was in second grade, and the way that I had had skirted through was I realized that if I don't blow and just try to use the finger positions that everybody else is, nobody will know that I suck, right? <laughs> and so then we had this big performance uh, in front of the school and all this kind of stuff. This is when we were living in Florida. And I went to my teacher beforehand because I was just all nerves. Even in second grade, I was all nerves. Uh -huh. I was like, Mr. Myers, Mr. Myers, listen, I can't play the recorder. And I explained the whole thing to him. And he looked at me and he smiled and he said, 
just keep doing that. It's <laughs> like, okay, I got it. And so I think that may have been one of the pivotal moments where I realized that acting can really be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. In fourth grade, we had a teacher, she had a piano and she'd play music every day and I would get in trouble and she would make me go sit down because I started getting in the music and moving. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I'm enjoying it and I'm getting in trouble. You know, she just wanted you to stand there and sing, you know? Yeah. And, uh, that's too bad. Cause that's the, I mean, that's the fun part about music for, I mean, Oh yeah. I think, I mean, music's great alone, but it's better shared, I think. So, all right. So there were some challenges, uh, with, uh, with, with youth group and, and, and that all kind of, uh, disintegrated away. And I, you know, I can only imagine how, how tough that is to go through. Um, I don't, cause I've never experienced anything quite yeah, like and that's, that. That's when I moved to Little Rock and I was going to a church down there. One of the pastors was a big in a Southern gospel group. And so I went down there and played drums in church. I moved down there because I met this chick, Adrian. Do you remember her? She came and mm. played piano at youth group one time, long curly hair. I met her at church camp. She was one of the counselors at church camp. Uh, I vaguely remember something anyway, about that. Um, she encouraged me to get out because of the way I was being treated and, and stuff. And Perry Black was the youth pastor in Little Rock, but I chose to go to this other church because I lived in North Little Rock. So I actually did a little bit of counseling after what happened at Grace. I mean, it did really, you? you know, made me hard. It, it um, You know, I went to a youth pastor conference and they, they talked about, you know, never have one-on-one time with a, a student. And I understand the church was trying to protect me, but it would have been better to communicate the intention instead of just, you know, after the fact going, well, these girls like you, and that's why we're doing this and that. And um, it it should have been more of a thing where you're trying to protect the leader rather than trying to make a statement, you know. Uh, Rather than trying to teach someone a lesson. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I so, see that. but you know, there's single ministers, musicians in the ministry all over the world, and I think we just have to support them more, and and we need to guard them. So when, uh, so at what point did you choose to um, go into EMS as opposed to music or, or whatnot? Cause there, there seemed to be a transition there. I think that at the point I had to come to the point, I'll never be that professional musician like I wanted, but I could still do music and love music and contribute. Actually, my dad talked to me about that. Really? You know, and, um, he said, that's fine that you love this and do this. But he said, you, are not phenomenal. <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> and uh, and you know my face. And he said, "Get you a good solid career, <clears throat> and still do your music." He said, "You're not going to be one of those drummers that can go into the studio and read chart music and do all this." He said, "You learned the wrong way with your music." And and if I could have 
gone the route I wanted at Arkansas Tech of being a percussionist and learning music. But if I would have had the reading comprehension to pass all the basics, you know, and that was another thing. No matter what, seventh grade reading level, I'm not going to move up yeah. at Tech. I was going to spend more time in remedial classes. And by the time I finished, I could have had a Ph.D. Mm. because I would have to do the. And um, Arkansas Tech did a phenomenal job of taking me, putting me in reading comprehension classes and speed reading classes. But, you know, I've got to make up six years. And I just, you know, I was like, I'm going to spend more time here than I am doing other stuff. Well, and, and how old were you at that time? Well, I was 18. Exactly. Well, I mean, we talked last night about, um, you know, when the brain finishes growing, you yeah. know, around 25, 26. So I, I think that we, we do ourselves a disservice by saying you got to choose what you're going to do when you're 18. That's when I started falling when I found an EMS, but I was still going to James Davis's house and we were playing drums yeah, and yeah. messing with lights and sound and it didn't mean I had to walk away from music. It just meant I had to take a different route with my music. Absolutely. I still like to sit and write lyrics and different stuff. And I, I write music. I write lyrics different. I write the title first and build around it. And, um, like whether it's sitting in church and somebody says something or, uh, you know, just a conversation or you hear somebody some something on TV and I'm like, oh, that would be a good song. And, uh, and then just situation. And I think writing lyrics and poetry is a form of healing for those that write it because you're expressing what you're feeling. I don't know how many loves, broken hearted <laughs> love songs. I'm surprised I'm not a country artist on tour with Willie. And, uh, <laughs> My mom was actually in EMT school, and um, really? I went up there to be a patient one night, and nobody was answering questions, and I was answering them. Carl Hoppus looked at me, and he goes, are you an EMT? And I went, no. He goes, how do you know all this? And I went, Boy Scouts. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And uh, they go, you're going to be in the next EMT school. That's exactly how it happened. That's interesting. I never knew that. Yeah. And so my mom struggled a little bit passing her EMT test and she finally passed. And we actually got to do a couple of calls together. No way. Yeah. Oh, when I was in Little Rock, mom came down and did a transfer and came by McKay Mall and really? and saw me. Yeah. She was in her uniform and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. It was really cool. That's and neat. then just a little bit after that's when I moved back and. All right, so 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 the bricklayer became an EMT, an EMT, <laughs> and then uh, I got so, my EMT and went straight into paramedic school. I had lots of difficulty on the national registry exam. I did all six. Well, no, I did four or five, and then that's when my father died, and I just kind of stepped away from it, and I missed. I had two more chances to go back, and the registry test. You know, they say it's on like a 12th grade reading level. It's a little more than that. And so, so anyway, I went and talked to Jamin Snar over at Northwest Community College. So he let me go in there. I didn't have to do all the clinical time as much because I had all my stuff. And um, so he cut my clinical time and said, I want you to spend more time on the truck and, 
different stuff. And he goes, Tim, you have ADD severely. And if it wasn't for Jamin Snar, I wouldn't be a paramedic today because he helped me figure out how to learn. Really? And I learned so much more from him. And I think he made me a better paramedic. One, he gave me the confidence that, yes, you can do this. I went through his class and passed the first time. Really? Yeah. Now, I remember you struggling with those tests. Um, I still uh, struggle with tests. So a couple interesting notes here. First of all, Carl Hoppus, who you were talking about, was the EMT on the call that picked me up when I broke my neck. uh, Oh, wow. Back in. So... Uh, I've always been grateful to him for that throughout the years, but it's interesting that, you know, that lives can kind of intersect that uh-huh. way. And then I went through EMT school while you were going through paramedics. Yeah, school. I remember. Yeah. And so, uh, which was kind of fun because we were in one classroom and you guys were in the other classroom, yeah. you know? And, and so it was, um, it was actually, for me, it was really enjoyable because I had friends that were in the classes, you know, in fact, I think Mark Ernest was also going through paramedic school at the same time you were or whatnot. Mm, so, I'm- yeah, he's. Do you remember Mark? Long, he had long hair. He worked at the, oh, the cave. Beach dude. Yep. Yep. Oh yep. yeah, yeah. I remember him. Yeah, he was awesome. <laughs> For a while, yeah. He yeah. He, uh, he he goes, man. I heard you want to be a scuba diver, and I was like, yeah. And I said, I'm interested in doing, you know, like the rescue stuff. And he goes. Well, just give me $25 or certificate, and I'll just write it to you, and you'll be certified. <laughs> I said, well, shouldn't I learn it? He goes, you're just going down looking for stuff. <laughs> that sounds like Mark a lot. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I remember you struggling on, on the tests, and, and I remember thinking, you know, that uh, how much of a challenge that had to be because you knew all your stuff. I knew you did. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is there's a lot of paramedics that don't pass the national registry test that are very knowledgeable mm-hmm. and just, you know, and then, and I know they do the test for a reason. You know, that's when I found out, you know, I have to learn different. What, what were the, what were the, some of the challenges with having to learn differently with the, the severe ADD? I didn't even know what ADD was. You know, they had to send me down to the school counselor and find out. And just basically my brain is in hyperdrive all the time. I mean, sleep, just constantly. I'm thinking my brain will not just shut off. And I'm 52 and doctors just don't want to give me anything for it. Really? Yeah. Because of your age? Yeah. Plus I've got high blood pressure and I'm fat now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm, I'm no skinny mini myself. So, so. but uh, so anyway, <clears throat> Jamin took the time to help me figure out, and you know he would sit after class and and say, "This is why you're not doing this." And you know, were there any particular types of techniques that he kind of taught you to to learn with? Or, or, or he told me to try different things, and then actually, of course, I just had a my son then i didn't my wife ex-wife did <laughs> so here i was newly married had a kid trying to go back through paramedic school of course you don't feel very intelligent having mm-hmm. to do this but you know after my dad died i did not want to go back and retest my paramedic because i still had two more chances and um, i thought it would be better just for me to go repeat the class and I know several people that have had to do that. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying that you had trouble. 
There's not. With the National Registry test. I think we let tests... I don't think we use tests as a guide anymore, whether a student is learning or not. But, um, so there... so I I still struggle with Jamin's class, and I did find out basically if I would write the chapter over in the way that I understood it, that's that's what helped me. And then I bought a really good National Registry study guide book, and that workbook, and it was nothing but tests, just continuous tests, 180 questions, and um. And plus, they gave the rationale why you got it wrong. And so, um, but when I went and got my bachelor's degree, um, that's when I started learning. I bought myself a marker board. And so, when I would write it out, see it, it so would that click. visual learning would help you. So, you would take it, you take your whiteboard, and you would take the information that you were trying to learn and you'd write it on the, on the whiteboard. So you would be doing multiple things. First of all, you would, you know, obviously it's going to give you the visual as well, but it's also going to give you the, um, the slight muscle memory where you're actually writing something. And also if you repeat something seven times, you'll remember it. And that worked for you. Yeah. And so like acronyms, you know, ROI, you know, and, uh, Risk on advancement, you know, I just yeah. stupid stuff that other people go, oh, ROI, you know, for some reason, I just, especially the older I get, but I love learning now because now that I've figured out how to learn. Sure. And then. It's one a whole of, new world, right? Right. And one of my buddies, Tony Ballora, you know, he was like a solid A student, went out to California to go to UC San Diego and he was in the bottom of the pile because the education was so different out there. So he had to take remedial classes really? in college, but they actually sat down with you and teach you how to learn. And um, he said, you need to figure out your hours of the day that you learn best. Why do homeschooling kids learn better? Because they're not up at 6.30 getting on a bus at 7 on a bus for an hour going to school. Parents let them start school at 10 o'clock and they finish at 2 or 3. So as an adult learner, I found out I learned better. I comprehended better between 8 and midnight. Really? So because I'm kind of a night owl. And um, so that little window there was my time to get in and and read and take notes. Then I found out I love writing papers. I love research. And that's why I've got the job I have now. Yeah. So um, I guess we can finish the arc. So you, you, uh, when we were in in, uh, class together, when I, well, when I was in EMT school, you're in paramedic school. uh, You remember the, the AREVAC uh, helicopter came down and I, my name got drawn to be one of the people that could ride in the helicopter. Yeah. And I remember you were like, Oh man, I, I wish I could have, you know, kind of thing. Um, and I'll be honest with you. It's the only time I've ever been in a helicopter. And it was one of my favorite experiences of all time because it was just so much fun. Like it was so quiet. It wasn't what you expected and, and so forth. But then you went on to get into uh, being on those helicopters, right? Like right. You, 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 
worked for Arivac or some company like Arivac, right? I mean, yeah, well, I did work for Arivac. So I did 10 years, seven years, almost seven to 10 years on the streets. And I worked rural EMS, moved into the metropolitan EMS, and um, then went on to the helicopter with Arivac, then went to another company, Survival Flight, and um, ended my EMS career <laughs> well, four weeks ago. You know, and, and the. So there's an interesting thing that I just want to highlight here, which is when we were in, in school and we had that experience, I had that experience going up in the, uh, in the helicopter. Um, you decided you wanted to do that. I decided I wanted to do that when my flight instructor, when my EMT instructor came in, in a flight suit. Really? Yeah. Cause I was like, that's it. That's what I want to do. So here's the interesting thing. So, um, after you graduated paramedic school, after you got out of paramedic school, um, how long was it before you ended up on helicopters? Um, let's A couple see, of years? 2007. So it was six years. I wanted a really good foundation. There's some that'll work three years on the street and start flying. I wanted a lot more street experience. And um, I was working at MIMS in Little Rock, Arkansas, so, you know, we're phenomenal call volume, 18 call. You can yeah. do 16, 18 calls in 12 hours. And, right. you know, and for anybody and, that doesn't know, uh, Fort Smith, Arkansas, uh, Little Rock, Arkansas is one of the busiest places. And for, Pine Bluff. Uh, yeah, Pine Bluff, uh, definitely. Our, our, our nation, nation leaders in calls like, yeah, because, and it's not just for EMS, right? It's also for fire and for, uh, especially for police. Uh, I had a co uh, a cousin who was going into, um, the police force and he was looking, he wanted to go where the, where the action was, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm really considering a little rock cause there's so much going on yeah. there, you know, it's either go to little rock or go to Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which is crazy. Well, they they when I was in Pine Bluff, my first night we worked four shootings. Wow. Well, actually, four homicides. They were all successful. Really? Yeah, in one night, all at Martin Luther King Park. Wow. And they ended up having to shut down Martin Luther King Park after a certain time because because of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so then you then you went on to to doing the the helicopter. Uh -huh. um, what is the the correct term for that? I just keep calling it the helicopter. I mean, it's just is it area of action or something. Hems. Hems. Okay. Yeah. Heli so, helicopter EMS. I got you. Hems. Okay. Yeah. So you you got into doing hems stuff uh, after that. Now, I just want to take a minute and reflect because this is an interesting thing to me. Uh, if we if we go back, just looking kind of at your your um, your path, your career in high school, they said you can't really do anything other than manual labor go into construction in college um you found out that you had some challenges due to, to the high school and so forth and you realized that the dream that you were chasing at the time was not one that you wanted to continue to go down because of some of those challenges and so then you kind of pivoted into ems and then you made a decision i want to be in the hymns stuff and you still consistently went down that path until you got there and you did exactly what you decided to do, which is interesting. Um, 
interesting to me. And so, so you did that. How long, how long were you doing the hem stuff? 10 years? Um, yeah, around 10, about, about 10, yeah, and then 10 you, or 11. You've just recently changed uh, careers a little bit more, uh, from, from the, you've kind of gotten out of the bullets flying. Yeah. Uh, I've now working in quality analyst in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Before that, I want to talk about my bachelor's degree. Yeah, let's do that. Because every goal I set for myself in EMS, I achieved. Excellent. And I kind of figured it would take me longer, but I, you know, I taught college for a year, found out I suck at teaching. Really? <laughs> I, as far as, you know, like classes like ACLS and CPR and, you know, those little classes, I love teaching, but structured college, no. Yeah. One, I think politics overflows and it really limits the teachers on being able to teach. Sure. And then there's so much other paperwork credentialing and it's just insane. And I think government is ruining college and to a point, I mean, there has to be, but I'm just saying whether it's state or, you know, there's just so much, it's just hard to explain. And I think we can all agree that our educational system in the U S is broken. Yeah. And um, I don't want to get into politics. I was just saying, right. I'd, you know, I would rather guest lecture or teach or I like I'm a clinical person. I like getting somebody in the back of the ambulance or on the helicopter and doing the hands on. This is why we do this. OK, you've got this. So what's a your plan A and B mm -hmm. and teaching people to think ahead and be critical thinkers. And I think Dr. Calicott, our medical director at um Aravac, he was so big on teaching you to be a critical thinker that you can actually overflow that into your personal life. Sure. And and um, there's a book I want to get. I can't remember in any way. It talks about being a critical thinker in life. I was determined to get a bachelor's degree. I didn't sit down and take my time on, you know, I want to do this. I started off in emergency management, then it was like, it's a field getting saturated. So I saw sports medicine and exercise science, kind of wanted to go into cardiac rehab, get the degree, find out you can't use that degree in cardiac rehab. You have to have exercise physiology, not exercise science. And so I thought wasted degree, all that. Well, it actually overflowed and helped when I taught paramedic because I learned so much more biomechanics and just different things. So in the long run, it's helped in areas, but was it worth 40,000? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, but, uh, I've ended up found out I've got work induced scoliosis in my back. I have a large curvature in my lower back, found out I broke my neck. Didn't know I broke my neck and wow. broke C4 and it's slightly displaced a little bit. So, uh, I said, before I end up in a wheelchair, I want to find somewhere that can take all my experience. And I fell into quality analyst, which is a lot of data entry, as we were talking about. But the more I find out, you know, it's going to be a lot of risk management, patient safety, all the same stuff that kind of incorporates. And then, you know, I went through a reserve officer class and learned a little bit about investigations. So that's going to kind of be a foundation on 
if somebody falls, how are we going to do this stuff? And so finally at 52, I found an employer that says, hey, we want to take your experience and we want to bring you in. Just don't give up. It doesn't matter if somebody tells you you can't do something because you're only good for a trash person. You're only good for a trash person if you let that person tell you you're good for a trash person. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, if you want to do more than that, that's up to you. The marker board's wide open. You can put whatever <laughs> you want on that marker board. Yeah. And, and I tell my son all the time, every day, write down goals for the day. I think if people don't write down what they need to do today, I don't care if it's going and getting a loaf of bread, getting a habit of writing it down, putting it on your calendar and your phone, have a goal for the day. Because otherwise, you're just going to be lost. I've given up on myself so many times, and I've got so many good friends like you and Mike Smith, Joe Irby, that you've got to have those friends that tell you that's a stupid idea. <laughs> but you've also got to have those friends that'll be honest and say, yeah, I think you can do that. And the only reason I have this job today is because of my friend Mike Smith, because he's worked in healthcare administration and all kinds of stuff. And he said, if you want to get into healthcare administration, just apply for a job. Just get out there. He said, whether it's the manager over the laundry mat or the manager over environmental services, the housekeeping. Sure. He said, do it. So I found the first job that I felt like I was kind of qualified for. And my boss now, she's phenomenal, doesn't micromanage. And everybody in my department wants to see the department succeed. We've got goals. and It sounds like a good fit. Yeah, yeah. I found my spot. I feel comfortable. I'm happy. I miss EMS. I mean, sure. I mean who doesn't want to run 80 miles an hour with lights and siren and jump in the curbs, you know? <laughs> you know, I've helped deliver babies, and I've had to tell people their family members are dead. A lot of highs and lows. Yes. Every day, I always told my paramedic students, no matter what, you can be the worst paramedic in the world. If you tell somebody that you're there for them and pat them on the shoulder and reassure them, they'll remember that. They won't remember you had to stick them three times for an IV because their veins are bad. You know, they're not going to remember that. And it's the reassurance, whether it's... Somebody calling 911 for a toothache or an ingrown toenail. Mm -hmm. Always treat everybody with respect. Well, that, that's, that's a lot of good points there. <laughs> I've learned a lot through my time on this earth. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's quite an interesting arc all the way, all the way from beginning to now. You know, I could have let that high school instructor taught me how to go into Arkansas Tech. You know, and if I would have done that, he would have crushed my dreams of music, even though I wasn't a successful. Just because you don't make money doing something you like does not mean you're not successful. Right. I'm you just, know. you know, just because I didn't end up on the front cover of a, an album. Stone. Yeah. yeah uh, all that. But I think the consistency of being determined to keep doing music and learning in music overflowed 
into me not giving up in my EMS career because I had a learning disability and test anxiety. The four times I went and took my national registry test, my blood pressure was 100, 180 over 120 every time. <laughs> That's test anxiety. Yeah. Yes, it is. After Jamin Snar worked with me, I went in there, my pressure was normal, and I passed. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, and because he built the confidence up in me, and that's the job of a teacher. But it's also a job of a teacher that I learned to tell a student, this job, this career is not for you, you know? If you get out of the ambulance every time bawling because you feel sorry for the patient or you're crying... <laughs> Because you don't want to hurt them because you've got to start an IV. This may not be for you, you know. And and I've had a student I had to tell, you're just not at the learning level. You need more remedial education. You know, if you can't do basic math, you don't need to be in paramedic school because you're going to do a wrong drug calculation. You're going to kill somebody. If my instructor would have said, before you go to Arkansas Tech, why don't you think about going to the community college and taking some remedial college classes, reading and different things like that? I could have accepted that a lot easier mm -hmm. than you're just stupid. And, you know, but the thing is, is some people are happy being a garbage man. That's fine. We need that. We need the plumbers and everything else. And just different people have different desires and, and what they want to strive in life. Yeah, and um, I wanted more, you know, and probably a bricklayer is probably going to make more than I am now. <laughs> That's yeah. the thing. Well, and, 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 and my son went to Job Corps and did bricklaying, and he was like, holy crap, I thought this was going to be easy. <laughs> <laughs> So who knows? He may end up being a professional bricklayer, I don't know, or owning his own business. But but uh, just don't let anybody tell you what you can and cannot do. And always build those friends that are going to be honest with you, Yeah. that aren't going to say something just to hurt you because you're succeeding and they're not. Because what happens when you succeed? You bring somebody with you, always. And, and that comes from... Me saying, Elliot, if you want your own talk show, you can have your own talk show, mm -hmm. you know, and um, but that's what I've learned. It's the five people on one hand mm -hmm. <clears throat> that you don't have to talk to them every day. Right. But, you know, you can pick up the phone, send an email, mm -hmm. whatever that they're the ones that are going to be the ones that tell you, yeah, this is a good idea, or, hey, why don't you sit down, write the negatives and positives down, and that's what Mike always told me. Sit down, write your negatives and positives for each job, and decide what you can and cannot live without. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's it's really good advice. You may not know this, but when I went to college, uh, I was in remedial classes too, um, which seems weird because I was a straight-A student, right? It right. just, you know... High school was not, you know, but I also had to go through and do remedial classes if I wanted to continue going to college. The, the thing that I find really interesting about your story is, is how you, you haven't, 
even though, and since I know you well, I can, I can say that I've seen, you know, some emotional devastation in your life over the years in different areas. I mean, we didn't even get into, um, relationships. Oh, I don't right? No, <laughs> you know, and so there, <laughs> but the thing, the thing that's interesting, you know, your story isn't one of those where, uh, you know, it's, it's not like the Olympic athlete who's going to chase that dream until they die. That's, that's not your story, right? Your story is more of one of self-discovery and understanding that you're enough that you, that you have intrinsic value and it doesn't matter what other people say, you're just going to keep trying and you're going to keep going and so forth. And you've carved out a pretty stellar career for yourself, all, all things considered. Um, you know, you, uh, you've come to a point, you know, you, you've got a, uh, you got a house, you got, a, you know, a beautiful house here. You're, uh, you know, in a, in a job that you're enjoying now you've, you know, saved lives and, and you, I mean, you've done some amazing work there. So, the, you know, the, the whole thing <clears throat> is amazing to me because, you know, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and continuing on and it has done great things for you by just not giving up. Yeah, and it's like <clears throat> if there was a class I could take, I would take it, mm -hmm. you know. Um, when I lived in Sherwood, Arkansas, got on the volunteer fire department. And took, I went up to Firefighter 1 or 2, you know, just because I could, because mm -hmm. they offered it. Right. You know, extrication, done SWAT. I was in the Navy with the Marines for a little <laughs> bit. I was a corpsman with the Marines. Right. You know, and that was simply because um, the Arkansas Gazette had an article saying the Marines need 500 corpsmen. And so about five of us went, oh, okay, we'll go do that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, nice. and uh, injured my back and had to get out with that. But, uh, you know, if, if they're uh, – Richard Bronson from, mm -hmm. yeah, you know, he said, if there's an opportunity to learn, take it. And, you know, if somebody offers you an opportunity, accept it and then read up on it. But I don't think surgery or being a pilot, you should accept that job without <laughs> knowing how to do it. Yeah, you really should. <laughs> you know. I did it on Xbox. <laughs> Got my part 135 through Xbox. <laughs> yeah, I, I was. <laughs> well, that's like with this job with quality analyst. You know, she liked that I liked research. She liked all this, you know, like to dig in and investigate and do stuff. And that's what helped me get this job. It wasn't that I knew what a quality analyst was. I had to Google it, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but when you read what, what it is and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's what I like to do. And there's just so many things in it. So, um, now it's a new challenge for you. It's something yeah. that you haven't done before. Yeah. And, and so now they're already talking about, you need to get this certification and you need to do this and that. And, um, you know, the other day I was talking to you about going and getting a master's degree Mm-hmm. Well, that's like this morning I got to looking and, you know, they've got a certification in quality analyst and a certification in risk management. And I'm like, those are the same classes and they're cheaper to go that route. So I'm not going to do a master's degree. I'm going to get two certifications and be done with it. Yeah. Design my own master's program. There you go. There you go. Design your own life. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah i wish that was mine it's not uh, <laughs> i think that's james altucher uh is uh maybe he's choose yourself uh, yeah so out of curiosity are there any good books that you would recommend um 
that you know people that might be struggling with confidence or really you know, anything honestly i watch more um motivational videos sure joe rogan you like joe rogan i like joe rogan i don't like on a lot of stuff uh-huh. but when he talks you know of course he's big into jujitsu as everybody knows and mm-hmm. and he applies those principles to his life but i like watching joe rogan i like watching tony robbins mm-hmm. and um <clears throat> for some reason i love listening to athletes do motivational speak speeches mm-hmm. and you know you'll find an athlete every now and then that did not come out of the womb throwing the football 50 yards you know <laughs> you'll find an athlete that like tom brady i mean he no if you could see his draft pictures you're like you know sure uh, and it you know talking about how he had to overcome and it took one person just to believe in him that guy's gut feeling paid off but uh yeah i like i, I like listening to motivational videos when i get ready in the morning mm-hmm. that's what i do is i listen to motivational videos and um uh of course you know reading my bible and mm-hmm. different things so uh well then let me ask you this uh do you have a favorite verse or one that's your favorite right now? Oh, mine's always been Isaiah forty thirty one. Well, which is? Uh, those you, out mount up with wings like eagles. You know, I can't even say it because you put me on the spot. Oh, okay. They well, shall not run and be weak. They shall walk and not be weary. Mm-hmm. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not faint. They shall rise uh, something and not be weary. Yeah. It's been a while. It's been a while yeah. for me. But yeah, I mean, it it just talks about no matter what struggle you go through in life, you can fly if you want to, or you can take, you know, I could have been an alcoholic, you know, because of my dad. How many people followed the same path that way? And I think it's just a matter of saying, I'm not going to be like that. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have my first drink till I was 34. And you know nice. and i still hardly drink well for uh, but let me ask you this because because that brings up an interesting question for me um did you actively stay away from alcohol till you were 34 because you were afraid that the same sickness that your dad had would be one that was passed on to you that you were worried about no it's going to sound weird but my mom made me promise her that i wouldn't be an alcoholic really? and drink okay and um i didn't want to break that and and i think by having that much respect for my mom is what what did it yeah yeah and seeing her stand in the front yard crying because my dad's screaming and yelling and doing causing a scene sure. and um and so i think that was also the first step in me learning to keep your word as a person yeah the best you can well and that's important um you know and that's something i've talked about in the past in fact even at plain ordinary dragon i I have i have articles on it that i've written um is that uh confidence comes from being true to yourself um if if you break promises to yourself then you don't trust yourself yeah if you don't trust yourself you can't have confidence and you can't trust anybody else no you absolutely can't and so if you want to be a confident person if you want to have confidence um then 
the most important thing to do is to keep your word to yourself. Not it doesn't nobody else matters in in, the, in that arena. It's you. I, it's one of the things that you know people <clears throat> have told me for years. Oh, you just have so much confidence. You can do whatever you know, and so forth. I, I'm just as insecure as everybody else. The 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 thing that helps me do my things is knowing that even when it's tough and even when it's hard and even when I don't want to do it, if I don't do those things that I need to do, then I'm going to know I didn't do them, even if nobody else knows. And when I know that I'm not keeping promises to myself, then how do I trust myself? And if I can't trust myself, then that's really what confidence is. Do you trust yourself or do you not? Yeah. And so, um, that's a big thing that is keeping. Yeah. And in high school, I had no desire to be part of that. You know, I was too busy. I had a job. Mm-hmm. I was working on trying to get a music scholarship. I was working in Boy Scouts and, you know, I didn't have time for all that. <laughs> I just felt like sure. it would, it would hinder me from getting my goals. I did want to say that I think everybody should learn. And I don't mean going to school. If you think, man, I would love to know what kind of plants need to be in my flower bed. By gosh, get on YouTube, buy a book, go to Lowe's, whatever, and go learn it. Yeah. You know, there's so much out there. Take time to turn off the TV. The best thing I did was disconnect my Dish Network. Mm. And uh, now it's, I'm fine with just putting an old CD in the DVD player and listening to some old nineties music, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and you'll get more done. I was at a meeting this week. They were talking about, you know, during the day, make goals during the day of what you need to do. And she said, take time, get up from your desk every hour, go walk for five and come back. And she said, a lot of time, a lot a time to check your email she said how many times do we minimize it and you've got the the uh the mail at the bottom and it starts flashing she said teach yourself not to answer or look at your email every time it flashes because she said it takes 15 minutes to start back up where you left off so she said i'm going to lunch at 11 o'clock 10.50, I'm going to check my emails before I go to lunch. I'll check emails at 2 o'clock. We have to teach ourselves to do certain things to be successful. And if you take little things, you look at little things that set you back. Mm-hmm. Checking your email, how many times are we on Facebook, how many times text messages, this and that. But my thing is learn. Don't let somebody tell you you can't learn. If you have to use six different highlighters and they mean six different things to help you remember something, then just do it. And um, But I'm all about the education. Never quit learning. It's an important point. You know, it's it's not necessarily about the educational uh, system, but about about being passionate about learning. You know, there are a lot of things that my parents did well for me, but the number one thing that they did for me was help me help instill a love and a desire to learn about anything, um, about anything. Yeah. So I completely agree. My son, he had issues in school and then, then there was a bunch of other personal issues, but 
He had one teacher tell him the only thing he was good for was farting, burping, and wasting air. And from that moment on, he basically just shut school out. Mm -hmm. Didn't matter how much I went to the school, got onto the teacher, went to the principal, superintendent, all this. It didn't matter. Just him saying that one thing to him, son shut down. He just, that was it, you know. And um, very intelligent. We've talked about it you know he retains so much and um and he knows he stinks at math and science but history and all kind just declaration of independence the bill of rights just all that stuff he just reads it and absorb it bible scriptures we need to realize what we say can really teachers Mm -hmm. especially can make or break a child school counselors can make or break a child yeah, it's an important and, it's an important thing that we don't take seriously enough. Yeah, and um, so, but I'm just all about education, and education doesn't always mean a bachelor's degree, master's degree, a PhD. Education is making yourself better than you were before, and that's Mr. Van Dieven, my high school history teacher. Always be better today than you were yesterday. Well, great. Well, um. I want to say thank you for coming on, letting us talk with you and delve into your personal life some, and and uh, I'm sure it will be helpful to other people. Yeah, and you can tell from this, everybody's going to listen to this, and at the end they're going to go, he does have ADD because he can't keep on a straight conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never know. I may I may chop it up in post so that it all flows, yeah, flows yeah, well so together. You'll be squirrel, like, squirrel, duck, chipmunk. What, <laughs> I don't think that was the order we talked about all that stuff in. Uh, <laughs> Hang on here. But our conversations just outside of that go, you know. All around. It's well, like getting directions going to a house in Newton County. You know, go down to the, <laughs> go down to the, you know, the hanging tree where they hang shoes off of. And uh, then you turn left and go down to Mr. Johnson's mule. He's out there every day at three o'clock. Right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, I hope you enjoyed uh, that interview with Tim, and I have a few takeaways. First of all, uh, expression is so important for health. Writing is a form of therapy. Art isn't something that you only give to others. It's a gift that you give yourself. Next, Tim instinctively knew what he wanted from the moment he saw that instructor in, in a flight suit. Remember? You know what you want intuitively. Decide to follow your intuition. Next, don't give up. You're only a trash person if you believe you are one. You get to choose. Maybe you want to be a trash collector, and if so, go chase that dream. But don't do it because somebody else told you it's your only option. It isn't. You can chase the dream of your choosing. Lastly, the last takeaway that I had from from what Tim said was honest friends and honest friendships are invaluable. Success is a rising tide. When you succeed, you bring someone with you always. 
Well, please subscribe and leave us a review. We're a brand new podcast and need all the social love you can give us. Uh, you feel free to share this on Facebook or any of your platforms. It would mean the world to us if you would go ahead and take the time to give us a shout out on iTunes, Facebook, write us a review, uh, subscribe. Uh, you can go to plainordinarydragon.com and you can subscribe uh, to the um, to the podcast. You can subscribe to our uh, our newsletter, which basically the newsletter is whenever the uh, a new blog comes comes out, new blog post comes out, uh, it gets emailed to you. So you don't even have to visit the site if you, if you don't want to, uh, once you sign up and you'll get all the articles sent to you as well. So anyway, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for spending it with us today. And as always, dragons roar like you mean it.